Hello and welcome to this week's edition of SBC This Week, a roundup of news and views from around the Southern Baptist Convention. SBC This Week is hosted by Amy Whitfield and Jonathan Howe. Hey Jonathan, how are you this week? Doing well, doing well. It's been a nice uh, week after a, a long weekend. You know, we got Labor Day last weekend, so nice to have a, a day off and had some grilling going on here at the house with some friends and people from church, so that was fun. Very nice, very nice. It's been a I'll say it's been a challenging week here in Wake Forest. We have had a lot of sickness going through our house. Yeah, so. I had that last week at my house. Three of my kids went down with the stomach bug. So, Yep, just trying to make it, but we're hanging in there. That's good to hear, Amy. We're going to jump right into it here. we got some follow-ups to some stories that we've covered recently on the podcast. We're going to start in South Carolina. Yeah, so we we already talked about some of the issues going on at North Greenville that a video had surfaced, and uh, there were a lot of questions around the departure of the former president um, and that the board had released a statement saying, you know, we're, we want to be above board with all the staff and faculty and what they're called to the, the people who are on campus now. So during all, all of this, uh, as they have tried to figure out how to deal with it, the South Carolina Baptist Convention Executive Board uh, has decided, in a sense, to step in somewhat. Yes. Um, they're obviously, these things are always interesting to see how the uh, our trustee systems work at the national level and the state level. We have the trustee boards that are um, nominated, they're voted on, but there's certainly a, a connection with the messengers that meet every year. There's a connection with the executive board and the executive board chairman, is uh, asking for uh, some of the officials on the board, the interim president, to attend their fall meeting and to begin explaining exactly yeah. what happened, uh, how they're going to improve their accountability in the processes. So it's, and this follows up to a meeting that they already had with some of the leaders. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that, yeah, we mentioned that, uh, I think, on the podcast last week. Right. Follows up to a meeting that they already had, uh, but they've asked them to come to the meeting of the full board. The interesting piece to this is that they've said they're going to delay payment of cooperative program yeah. fund. The state cooperative program funding that they get from the state of South Carolina has been shut off for now. Um, right. The, the spigot has metaphorically been turned off. Yeah. And, and nothing's been said that this is going to be you know permanent. By any means, there's no, there have been no stipulations yes. set. Agreed. You have to but it does get. show the severity of the situation. It, it definitely does. And it, it reminds us of just what that, uh, how those lines of communication are, I guess, intended to be, expected to be uh, in a lot of these situations. Um, it, what's been interesting to me is that we've heard stories through the years of some of the colleges, particularly a lot of the colleges that maybe doctrinally have shifted or they've, they've said we're not really in line with the state convention, uh, things sort of post-conservative resurgence. And we know there have been some changes in the funding on those fronts. I've not seen stories, certainly not recently, of, of something happening very quickly like this. Yeah, we talked about this uh, a few days ago, and neither one of us could, could come up with anything. I even asked a couple of people at work if they had remembered anything, and both of them... Uh, just came up blank. So, yeah. So it's it's certainly an interesting development. Obviously, we'll continue to watch this. Uh, that that executive board meeting is October thirteenth. So right. I'm sure so we got about a month. Statement. Yeah, we got about a month till that uh, goes on. 
So we'll just kind of keep an eye out and, and watch this story. Another story we talked about a few weeks ago was the passing of uh, John Gibson, a professor and a pastor down in the New Orleans area. He was a professor at the college, at Level College at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, what was initially reported by the seminary as unknown cause of death uh, turned out actually to be a suicide after Gibson's name surfaced in the Ashley Madison uh, list uh, that was exposed a few weeks ago online. Um, very, very sad story coming out of New Orleans. CNN Money actually broke the story. They've, they've been covering everything Ashley Madison related at CNN Money, uh, which was an odd spot on the CNN website for this to be. But at the same time, very, very sad story from New Orleans. Yeah, well, talking about the website, I, I thought the same thing first, but I know they've, as you said, they've been covering sort of the Ashley Madison story, but the writer uh, who actually did that yes, uh, as a religion mm-hmm. reporter. Yeah, Eric there, is the you know. religion reporter for CNN. Right. It just, they, they put it on that, that portion of their site. Um, yes. Th- such a sad story. I have to tell you though, I was really amazed by the, um, just some of the touching words of, uh, of his wife and, it was really courageous, honestly, what she did to speak out in this way. Um, so that that was a really, um, I don't know, just an incredible thing to see in all of this. But you know, you just can't feel anything but just sad over it. It's, it's a very, rad. very heartbreaking situation, and it goes to remind us that you know this is not the way out or a way out at all uh, in any type of situation like this. And, and we want to. You, you made the point earlier, we want to remind people about the Pastor Caroline that, that NAM and uh, Lifeway Pastors has put together in coordination with Focus on the Family, and that's one eight four 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 pastor uh, You can find out more information about that at lifeway.com slash pastors. It's right there on the sidebar. And uh, pastors, right. if, you, if you need some help and want to talk to somebody in any of these areas, it doesn't have to be you know as serious as this, but uh, that's a resource available to you uh, via focus on the family provided by Lifeway Pastors and North American Mission Board. Yeah, de- definitely it's not the only way that the pastor hotline's a great thing that's come along there are also also many other great uh, ministries Woodstock has been kind of setting the tone for this for years with their city of refuge. Yeah, Johnny uh, Hunt has led the way by far on this. Right, right. So uh, it just reminds us that uh, there are some hard things that uh, no one is immune from, and even in the ministry, um, things like this can can happen. And there are there are pathways. You're right, Amy, uh, and we'll continue to, to to monitor this, see if anything else comes out of New Orleans about this. Moving on to another story we covered recently, and basically the story that is the SBC right now. I mean, this is what everybody's talking about: the IMB and their uh, financial restructuring and calling back of missionaries from the field. They mentioned uh, a couple weeks ago, whenever the story broke, that there would be a voluntary retirement incentive issued. Well, the details of that came down today. We're recording this here on Thursday, September 10th, and that information came out of Richmond today. On a basic level, it, it appears that if you're over 50 and have five years of service with IMB, that you are eligible for this voluntary retirement incentive. Right. This is a, you know, a lot of people have this option to look at. So a number of folks are out there considering this, thinking about this. Uh, It's very detailed. They have a lot of things that they are offering. Um, In in my mind, I think it's very generous 
but they are leaving it to these missionaries to make the decision at this point. Yeah, which was uh, a very tough decision, I'm sure, for many missionaries because uh, the calling for many missionaries is that calling to go, the calling to the field. IMB has a, a difficult road ahead, you know, trying to get these finances in order, uh, as they have stated that they needed to. And uh, we wish them all the best in that as well. So we'll keep an eye on this story. I'm sure this is not the last we've heard of this one. No, it's not. I do have to say one thing I, I appreciate, and it seems like a lot of people are noticing in all of this. Um, as you said, everyone's talking about this. A lot of people have different opinions. People are trying to figure out how, why this happened and tons of theories being batted around or what the right thing to do is. Um, but I have to say, I really appreciate how David Platt has continued to lead Absolutely. in this. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and it, what I see him doing is just saying, um, I'm going to do my part. I'm the person in this seat right now. The buck stops with me. I'm going to do my part to do the right thing. And he is just, and it, that doesn't mean it, that it isn't hard, but you get the sense that this is, this hurts for everyone, that this is very difficult for him. And he is continuing to just make the steps forward. But I, I really appreciate his leadership in it. Yeah. Speaking of steps forward too, some new news here from Georgia, uh, the Christian Index, which is one of the oldest newspapers and Baptist state papers. Uh, it's been around since 1822. That's crazy. Uh, just a few years before you and I. I mean, that predates the Southern Baptist Convention. It but does. The Christian Index has been around since 1822 in a print form, and that will end at the end of 2015. They're going to an online-only format. They will print their final print edition on December the 24th. Yeah, that's crazy. I, I actually, I brought my copy home because there's so much history in it. It's explaining the the uh, the change that... I didn't. I couldn't even sit at the office and finish all of it because there's just so much uh, to take in. It was amazing the the history of this newspaper. I, I was blown away at that article. Uh, we linked to it here at sbcthisweek.com. You can read about it. But it, it kind of goes along with the major shifts we're seeing in publishing. Everything's going to digital. The cost to print and mail newspapers has just outgrown the need and the demand for them. Uh, and obviously the, the internet has changed a lot of that. When we see that at Lifeway, I'm sure you're seeing that at Southeastern and the way you guys deliver news uh, to your constituency, your alumni, your students and everything else. So uh, just, Absolutely. I think this is not the last one we saw a couple of weeks ago. We got a, a letter from the West Virginia paper saying that Correct. they would be no longer printing, uh, you know, print newspapers, they'd be going to online only and they join several other States. I know that have, have done this as well. So this is nothing new. I think we'll probably see more and more uh, state Baptist papers going this route. And, and it wouldn't be surprised to see this in 2016, uh, several of them uh, moving. Into yeah. This route. Yeah. And, and as you mentioned, this isn't just a trend in Baptist no, papers. This is a trend all. in papers everywhere. I mean, obviously as, uh, as you've seen near you, the Tennessean has gone through, you know, just some oh, major, yeah. major shifts. Uh, so this, this is just how news is changing now. Speaking of change, the Baptist Convention of Maryland, Delaware, the Mid-Atlantic Baptist Network, uh, is looking for a new executive. We've known this for a while. They put out the official call for applicants, I guess, this week. And uh, that all the information of that, if, if you want to nominate someone or if you happen to be listening to this and think that, hey, I'm qualified for that. I would love to do that. I'd love to go up in Maryland and serve the good people of Maryland and Delaware. 
the all the information is at spcthisweek.com. Um, and in some other news that popped out today uh, that I I was caught completely by surprise, good surprise, uh, NAM has announced that Vance Pittman will be joining their team as national mobilizer yep. uh, to to mobilize pastors to plant more churches. Now, this is not a shift from Las Vegas to Alpharetta for him. He is going to stay in his church and do this from there. But, you know, you talked about what an incredible job he did at Send. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think you were even hitting on, you know, the the strengths of his uh, of his talk. Mobilizing, I think, is, is the right yeah. thing for him to be doing. Oh, totally. I mean, his church out there has planted, I think they're, going to be planting their 22nd church. He's been out there 15 years in Las Vegas, and uh, they've planted, they're about to plant their 22nd church, I believe he told me, uh, whenever he was uh, at Send. And uh, we're going to have to get Vance on the, on the podcast and, and get him to tell us you know, what's going on out there with, with Nam, how this role fits into his local pastoring as well, because uh, you know, National Mobilizer being based in Las Vegas for the Southern Baptist Convention, those three things kind of you know, you kind of, I wonder where that Venn diagram overlaps with National yeah. Mobilizer, Southern Baptist Convention, and Las Vegas. Las Vegas, so yes, yes. Those three things, you know, uh, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how he, he works on that. Vance is going to rack up some frequent flyer miles, I'm sure. Uh, but uh, exciting for him, exciting for Hope Church, because uh, they're doing a lot for the SBC out there in the West and don't get a lot of notoriety for it because of the location. Uh, and Vance right. is probably one of those, those, diamonds in the rough in the SBC that people just don't know is out there. I mean, he's pretty well known in some circles, but in others, you know, just his proximity or the lack of proximity, I guess, to the rest of our churches uh, makes him right. somewhat of an unknown. But, uh, you know, Vance, he's he's outstanding. Fantastic news. Well, now we have an interview with Dr. Jason Allen, president of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, They have an upcoming symposium about the future of the SBC, and Jonathan was able to speak with him and uh, hear a little bit more about that. Joining us this week on SBC This Week is Dr. Jason Allen, the president of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Dr. Allen, thank you for coming on to talk to us. Thank you, Jonathan. It's a joy to uh, have this conversation with you. Well, I appreciate your time and uh, willingness to, to come on. Uh, Midwestern, in the past few years, was the forgotten seminary, just maybe a few short years ago. Uh, when the previous president left, there was even a discussion about the need for the seminary at all. To say that perception has changed would be an understatement. Uh, Midwestern has seen a real renewal since you've been there as president. To what do you attribute the success you've seen at the school? Well, Jonathan, you're so very kind. Uh, God has blessed in dramatic ways I'm I'm approaching three years here at Midwestern Seminary, and uh, at every institutional level and, and metric, we've seen just just his blessing. Uh, enrollment has grown uh, by about fifty percent over the past three years. Uh, we re- received more financial contributions the past three years than the history of the seminary combined previously, and so many other uh, just just markers of health. Uh, God has has sent top notch scholars and churchmen to strengthen an already robust faculty. But all these different metrics and uh, indicators, I would say, point back to a deeper root root issue, and that is why a seminary should exist. And, and from day one, I've been clear about, and the seminary has rallied around a vision for Midwestern Seminary to exist for the local church. Uh, we, we understand Christ promised to build his church, not his seminary, and uh, we abide under a, an Ephesians 4 mandate, seeking to train pastors and ministers and evangelists for local church service. So that's a question we ask around here daily. Uh, we have sought to bend every institutional 
uh, point of energy and effort towards serving the local church. And so that vision, as it's as it's taken root here and then emanated from here, has just resonated very broadly within the SBC as a whole, and even beyond the SBC to the broader evangelical community. So we're grateful to God for that. Uh, there was a, a big uh, report that came out about three months ago from the ATS, the Association of Theolo- uh, Theological Schools, that is, is really the gold standard accreditor for, for seminaries and divinity schools in North America, and they cited us as being one of the fastest-growing seminaries, and by some metrics, and, and frankly by the most important metrics, uh, the fastest-growing seminary in North America the past year. And they, they asked me in this conversation when they were doing an interview about the story, the uh, the person interviewing me began to talk through the, the reasons for that, and, and it was a pretty humorous conversation. She she began asking me very programmatic, you know, even bureaucratic questions, and I could tell I was talking to a person that's kind of a higher ed bureaucrat. And and she began to ask about you know what have we done to strengthen our retention rates, or have we you know invested more heavily in admissions? Have we rebranded the school? And and I just told her, I said, man, but we have uh, touched on all of these areas you've referenced and many more. We sought to bring excellence into uh, every category of the institution's life. But fundamentally, the growth we've experienced, I'm absolutely convinced, is not due to programmatic tweaks. It's not due to, uh, to, uh, to, to kind of you know, enhancing the edges of the school. The growth is given the fact our vision is clear. We exist for the local church. We are mission-driven. We are vision-centered. And that vision, that mission, is just resonating very broadly and very deeply with Southern Baptist churches. So we, we thank God for that. The reason we're having you on this week is to promote the upcoming symposium, the Southern Baptist Symposium that you're hosting at the end of September. Tell us a little bit about that. Why now? You know, Why are you hosting this now? And basically, who's the symposium for? This has been a concern of mine for many years, and about a year and a half ago, I really began to think intentionally about what we could do to not only, not only as a participant in the denominational conversation, but as an institution, as an entity, what can we do to contribute to the denominational conversation and the future of the SBC? And i got to say, Jonathan, I believe we're at a, a real inflection point uh, as to who we are as a convention and, and who we will become. The world is changing around us rapidly. We see uh, the cultural markers just changing by the day, it seems, whether it's marriage, gender, sexuality, truth claims, all of these things, and so much more. So the world is changing, and, and the SBC is changing. And some of that is very healthy. Uh, for instance, we are a far more diverse uh, denomination ethnically than, than most folks realize. About 25% of the churches in the SBC are ethnic uh, churches, meaning they have, uh, they're predominantly uh, Asian or African American or Hispanic, and uh, we rejoice in that. But at the same time, we realize we, we realize that the future before us is is up in the air, and and so it's a it's a, a symposium about the future of the SBC, and each word is important. It's entitled uh, "The SBC in the 21st Century: Reflection, Renewal, and Recommitment." So it's about the SBC. It's about the 21st century. It's about reflecting upon where we are. It's about seeking to renew uh, the aspects and dimensions that need renewal. Some of that is spiritual. Some of that is uh, theological and practical. Some of that is denominational and and programmatic, in a sense. And then uh, it's about recommitment. We are people that in the year 2015, by God's grace, we reflect our convictions that we had 100 years, uh, years ago, and we're grateful for that. A people of the book, a people that believe in and cherish the Word of God, a people of the Great Commission, a people of the Gospel, a people of the local church. And so we don't have to reinvent the SBC every decade or, or more. We need to intentionally recommit ourselves to who we are with these fundamental convictions. And so a part of the symposium will be to to restate these fundamental convictions, uh, both at the event itself and in the book project that's coming from it that we're doing in concert with, with B&H at LifeWay. 
Yeah, and when you planned the symposium, I know you didn't have a clue. I didn't either about the financial restructuring and the pulling of the eight, 600, 800 field workers at IMB. Uh, how did that recent news affect and maybe even perhaps alter, I guess, how we need to think about the future of the SPC and the symposium itself? Yeah, that's a very good question. Well, first of all, as a Southern Baptist, you can't conceptualize what the SBC is or does without the IMB being front and center. We're founding as a missionary organization, a mission-sending society, when you go back to 1845. And, of course, we all understand uh, the historical context of that and the issue of, of slavery is certainly a part of that, uh, regrettably so. But but fundamentally, from 1845 to 2015 and beyond, our, our raison d'etre, our, our, our rationale for existence has been about collective, collaborative missionary work. And so the IMB is uh, undergoing their own uh, season of transition, and we've all seen this uh, in recent weeks. We're praying for David Platt, supporting him. Uh, Dr. Platt will not be able to be at the symposium, but he is a part of the book project. And so the symposium will not be addressing in a technical way the IMB or what they should or should not be doing, but it certainly is a part of the conversation of who we are and who will be as, as a convention of churches. And it better be, because Southern Baptists are at their best when we are about the Great Commission, about the Gospel, about reaching the nations uh, for Christ. And one of the unique parts of the uh, symposium is you've got denominational leaders, you've got local church pastors, you've got state executives all involved in the same platform uh, you've got different, and you've even got you know local uh, professors there from Midwestern involved as well. Tell us a little bit about the makeup of you know you've got people from kind of every tribe in the SBC leadership involved. It's a rare thing for us to see a a denominational gathering or event with people from all those different levels involved. I, I think you know I view this event as being unique in that the the personalities that are in the room uh, speaking, and then those who couldn't be here given calendar logistics but who are going to be a part of the, of the book project. For instance, I referenced David Platt a moment ago, him and others. Um, as I began to pray about who would speak on what, I began to, to draft a, a list and a sheet of, of, of the tenor of this event and where we want it to go, i got to be, be quite candid with you. I, I never dreamt we would have the level of turnout we had. And so as I began to email different individuals like Frank Page, Al Moeller, uh, David Dockery, Ronnie Floyd, Paige Patterson, you know, Tom Rayner, state execs, others as well, I, I figured I'd be able to get you know, a small percentage of them actually here, just given the complexity of everyone's calendars. But, but praise God, most all of these men were available, and when they needed to, and when they could, they even massaged their schedules to get here. And so, frankly, the, the issue became quite quickly. It wasn't how can I get the right people here. It was, I mean, I have more people here than we even have time slots for to sustain this event over a couple of different days. So we had, we had to parrot some and, and curb it some and, and include some people in the book project that won't actually have formal speaking venues here. But I, frankly, I wanted statesmen. I wanted people who had something to say, people that had a lifetime or at least many, many years of ministry and of ministerial credibility behind them within the context of the SBC. The kind of people, you know, to play off E.F. Hutton, uh, that when they speak, Southern Baptists listen. And uh, these are men of great integrity, of great character, of great provenness, people who love our work and people who have the credibility and the track record to speak to our work. And so I, I think of it this way. For people that are pastors, uh, state convention employees, directors of mission, um, state, uh, uh, even the national entity employees, and, and lay folks that just have a concern and want to be a part of, of the cutting edge of the SBC, this is a symposium for them. We, we've capped the attendance. We're, we're only going to 
uh, let in about, about 250, 260 people because of the way we're facilitating the event itself around meals and some of the meals will be over lunch, lunch sessions and dinner in our banquet hall. So we're not trying to have a thousand people here. We won't, but we'll have a couple of hundred, 200, 250 people who are key, uh, denominational personalities doing the speaking and just stakeholders doing the listening and engaging and dialoguing. And so I believe we're going to leave here after, after 48 hours, um, enriched by the conversations, enriched by the presentations, uh, with a keener sense of where the SBC is, and a keener sense of, of where, by God's grace, uh, we shall be going. Now, your presentation that you'll be giving on Tuesday is about training the next generation of pastors, ministers, and missionaries. Tell us a little bit about, you know, kind of your vision for what that next generation of pastors, missionaries, and ministers needs to look like. Yeah, I, there are two kind of twin premises I'm building upon. The first is that the church has never needed more from its ministers than it needs right now. Therefore, ministers that are in training have never more needed to be equipped than they need right now. And again, if you look at the church, the cultural challenges, the constrictions on religious liberty, uh, the, the ethical quandaries that show up in the local church every Sunday, uh, whether it's issues of gender confusion, again, renegotiating what marriage and sexuality are to be. I mean, it, it's almost comprehensive, and frankly, it's daunting when you realize what, what churches are facing, what Christians are facing every day, and therefore what pastors are facing and ministers are facing every day and having to speak to. So the first premise is this, that, that ministers have, have need to be trained as never before. The other premise with it is the reality that theological education has, has experienced seismic shifts the past decade or so, and some of those shifts are reflected broader in higher education in general, uh, whether it's about you know, new and innovative delivery systems, online, distance, modular formats, uh, whether it relates to just the, the overall fiscal and financial challenges of seminaries and colleges in North America, um, the best pod- uh, pedagogical methods of instruction, um, all of these things kind of, kind of roll up into it. So on the one hand, you have this great urgency that we train the next generation of pastors, of ministers, and missionaries, all the while knowing how we train them and the resources we have to train them and the uh, context of training them is being reimagined for our very eyes. So on the one hand, we're kind of like you know, the great book, uh, John Stott, Between Two Worlds, you know, the preacher's a man who has one, one hand in the ancient world and one, one hand in the uh, contemporary world and has to bring the ancient text to bear into, into, into modern man. Um, to some degree, that's what we're doing in theological education. We're holding to the classic disciplines of the faith, Greek and Hebrew, New Testament, Old Testament, theology, church history, evangelism, missions, all of these things that are timeless that ought not be up for negotiation year in and year out. But we're importing that and bringing that to bear in a melu, in a ministry melu in the 21st century where we have to apply that in ways that absolutely enables us to, to, to produce graduates who are robustly prepared for the complexity of life and ministry in the 21st century. And so that's what we're about. Now, you and your wife, Karen, your parents have five children. My wife and I have four kids around the same ages as yours. In 20 to 30 years, when our kids to be, get to be our current age, and both you and I are grandparents, hopefully, what do you envision the Southern Baptist Convention like for them? Well, I can tell you what I hope it will be like. And you know, 20, 30 years is uh, a long time, but, but it's not that far away. And I'll be quite candid to you, with you, I care more about the issues than I care about the convention. I care more about the issues than I care about my own seminary. By that I mean this. I want a convention that believes the Bible absolutely is the truthful, uh, inerrant, infallible, inspired Word of God. I want a convention of churches, and I'm laboring for a convention of churches, that absolutely believes in the Great Commission, the gospel, that men and women must hear the gospel and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. 
I'm laboring for a convention of churches that, that takes church membership serious, that uh, takes holiness serious, that takes, that takes ministry within the, within the body of Christ seriously. So I care about those issues, and, and if those issues are right, then the SBC will be right, meaning we'll be a, a convention of healthy, growing, vibrant evangelistic churches. If those issues are wrong, and if we were to forfeit our convictions, then it's not success in 30 years if the SBC has 100,000 churches and 50 million members uh, if they're not right theologically. So the issues to me are the predominant concern more than, more than the project, the organizational project. It's the same way with my seminary. Look, I, I love every, every square inch of this campus. I love every student we have. I love the history. I love the present. I love the future. I'm an institutional man. But I care more about this institution being right convictionally, being right theologically, than I care about the history or the bricks or mortar or the Spurgeon Library, the new chapel, or different things and facilities God is blessing us with. The day that this school gives up its convictions or the day that Southern Baptists fail to hold this school accountable to Southern Baptist convictions, uh, I could care less if we have 10,000 students. And frankly, I'd rather have no students if, if the school in 20, 30 years uh, and subsequent leadership has given up its convictions. So... I know what I'm laboring to produce here on this campus, and I know what I'm laboring in my own corner of the kingdom and my own uh, portion of the SBC to produce in our churches. And if those convictions are right, those passions are right, those pre-commitments are right, then I believe the uh, the program and the project of the SBC and uh, the program and project of the Western Seminary will be, will be right as well. Now, you mentioned the Spurgeon Library. Tell us a little bit about that. I know we've seen some highlights and some video and some pictures and stuff online about that. Uh, I'm looking forward to the tour in a couple of weeks whenever we get up there for uh, the symposium. But for those that can't make it to the symposium, tell us a little bit about what the Spurgeon Library is, kind of the genesis of that project, and about Dr. George, who's running that for you. Yeah, thank you. So the Spurgeon Library is just a focal point on this campus, and uh, we're very proud of it. We're formally dedicating it the third week in October at our upcoming board meeting. So we're still about six weeks out before it's officially christened and open to the public, and we're you know putting some finishes, finishing touches on things even now. But here's the bottom line of the story in, in 60 seconds. When Spurgeon died a few years after he died, actually about 10 years after he died, uh, his family elected to sell his library, and uh, they Susanna had given away some books to, to clergymen in the area and, and, and different things. But the, the main corpus of the library was sold in 1904. They did an international bid. Missouri Baptist, in concert with William Jewell College, acquired the library in 1904. William Jewell College had the library for about 100 years, almost 100 years exactly. And uh, throughout the latter half of the 20th century, uh, they, they, they sort of lost interest in it. I think that's appropriate and fair to say. Towards, to, by the time they came into the beginning of the 21st century, they were open to selling it. They put out a, a closed bidding process. A few institutions bid, bid on it. Midwestern acquired it. And so from 2005 until, until 2015, we, we had it, but don't really have it located and displayed and, and accessible. By God's grace, he raised up generous supporters to donate $2.5 million, uh, Bill and Connie Jenkins of Indiana. And God raised up a scholar who would come here and lead it, Christian George, who's one of the leading Spurgeon scholars, perhaps the leading Spurgeon scholar in the evangelical world, to, uh, to lead that and steward that for us as the curator. And so the, the, we had the library, the funds came together, the vision was with it, the scholar came, and so now we have completed a library that houses over 6,000 of his books, including scores and scores and scores of other artifacts, letters, sermon notes, uh, display pieces throughout. We, we have Spurgeon's preaching rail from Spurgeon's College on display. We have his desk on display, and uh, we commissioned 
uh, 11 different works of art on display, two busts. I mean, it, it is just a spectacular showcase that, frankly, there's nothing else like it in the evangelical world. We're honored to have it on our campus, but it's more than a museum. It's also a library, but it's even more than a library. It's really a laboratory. It's, there are students in there preparing sermons. Um, the books for scholars are accessible. We, we don't have you know, people coming and pulling them off the shelf. But the resources are accessible. Right now, over the course of between now and the next year, it looks like we have about about 15 PhDs that are that are that are beginning here, uh, particularly on Spurgeon Spurgeon studies. So we we feel like we're riding a wave of a of a renaissance of Spurgeon studies, but not just about the man, but but the convictions. I mean, Spurgeon embodies so much of what we believe and want to practice by way of local church ministry. Uh, resolve in ministry, biblical conviction, great commission, fervor, and uh, a man that embodied all of this and so much of what we stand for as a seminary. So it's fitting and right that he, in some ways, is our banner, our mascot, and, uh, and we're just pleased to be, uh, be able to steward his library here. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Allen. We appreciate your time today, and I look forward to seeing you at the symposium later this month in Kansas City. Thank you, Jonathan. It's been a joy. All right. Thank you, Jonathan and Dr. Allen. Uh, so, Jonathan, you're heading up to the symposium pretty soon here. Yes, I am. I've been looking forward to it, really. Uh, the one thing I'm really looking forward to is Tuesday at 6 o'clock, the Taste of Kansas City barbecue buffet. Um, that that kind of ends the, the thing, but, you know, that that's one way to end a conference right there, brother. You, you know, this is continuing our theme that every SBC-related event, the thing that we want to talk about the most is the food. Yeah, like that cheesecake at the Southeastern Luncheon at SBC. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. I saw I saw a tweet that I think I'd favored it a while back that had that recipe in it the other day. And uh, I yes. thought about that cheesecake fondly. And uh, someone, so we got that recipe and then we, we tweeted it out, but somebody in uh, one of the offices made that so that we could all have it again. Yeah. And, well, oh, our, our resident baker at Lifeway, and you know who that is, has not made, has not made one yet. Um, and, and she was probably the biggest fan of that cheesecake. We're gonna have to call so, on her. I'm hey, I'm gonna be gonna staying be at her house. Yeah, yes, right. I'm gonna. Next week. I'm coming in for a wedding. That sounds, sounds uh, like an appropriate housewarming gift. You know, always got to have a baked good in in case someone comes over. Yes, maybe we can convince uh, Lizette that I'll fly in, go to this family wedding. I'll go to the reception, but save room for the cheesecake that she bakes. Yes. for me sounds before good. I fly out. I like that plan. We'll have to let her know that we're yes. planning on her baking. But uh, anyway, yes. back to the symposium, barbecue buffet and all. Uh, yes. Dr. Frank Page, Paige Patterson, Ronnie Floyd, Al Mohler, David Dockery, Jason Allen, Tom Rayner. I mean, it's it's a who's who. Yeah, and it uh, sounds like this is is really seriously considering uh, these issues in the future of the SBC. As he mentioned, this isn't you know this massive conference or rally trying to draw in thousands of no. people. Yeah, this is not a sin North America. Right. It really is a symposium, which is more about uh, discussing uh, discussing kind of the, the details, really getting down to what does it mean to look toward the future. And, uh, and it, it's going to, I'm sure it'll be somewhat academic in nature, but not necessarily at every point. It, it will just be really taking seriously uh, some of the hard questions that we have in front of us. Yeah. And we talked a little bit about it in the in the interview, the IMB uh, news and, and how that may shape and frame the discussion that goes on, because that's going to be what people are going to be talking about, uh, I think, 
Uh, there's no doubt about that. Uh, that's what everybody's talking about now, and I don't see any of that going away anytime soon, uh, especially a week out of um, executive committee because the executive committee meeting in Nashville is a week before. So right, I'll, I'll right. beat that as well. And then the right. week after is the, the meeting and the uh, the symposium at Midwestern. So, um, you know, it'll be like SBC overload for me for about 10 days there, which, you know me, I'm I'm all about that. So, uh, yes. but it'll be it'll be neat because we're hearing about the the leaders from the leaders from the past somewhat you know the Paige Patterson's the David Dockery's that have been around the SBC uh Dr. Moeller even you know for the last 20 30 years and have seen what the SBC was you know in the late 70s early 80s and what it is today and, and how that change has gone and you know looking forward to I guess that next 30 to 40 years uh with you know guys like Jason Dusing and Christian George and Jason Allen that are going to be there as well um, and presenting as well as me, which, you know, hopefully I'm still around here 30 and 40 years from now, but uh, I'm not presenting though. Um, but, you know, thanks Dr. for Allen, clarifying yeah, that. Dr. Allen, my calendar is open, um, but I'm, I'm actually there just with Dr. Rayner. So I, they don't want me presenting at an academic symposium. Trust me, that would not go well. Uh, but <laughs> I'm hoping to get some interviews though while I'm there for the podcast. But uh, otherwise, uh, you know, it should be a very interesting time to see these and perspectives and hear these perspectives from these, you know, he called them statesmen in the interview, from these statesmen, and to see how that is translated into this this next generation. Right. Well, it, at the end of it all, it'll be interesting to just take in this year, uh, just the last few months from the SBC annual meeting in Columbus to send yeah. uh, to a discussion like this. Yeah, so. you know, it's, it's been a, a busy, busy summer. It sure I mean, has. Uh, the Columbus, I mean, we came off this this great meeting in Columbus. You know, kudos again to Dr. Ronnie Floyd for that. Uh, and then going to Send and, you know, and Kevin Ezell and, and David Platt and Aaron Cohen, those guys just knocked it out of the park at Send. And then to go into the symposium here, I mean, it's just one thing after another. We've been hitting these tidal waves, uh, these, these high points for the SBC. So I, I'm hoping and expecting this to be a, another high point uh, in the SBC in 2015. Uh, well, it will definitely be interesting for sure. Uh, so are you ready for this week in SBC history? I am. Blew my mind, Amy. So this week in SBC history um, is a very important one. Um, well, last week's was podcast, pretty important too. It it was. It was. But uh, The IMB was founded basically yes, last week. Yes. So. Uh, but in recent... Um, SBC history. Uh, there were a, a few very, very important things that happened and some very important people. So uh, this, uh, this week on September 12th, 1931, Adrian Rogers was born. Wow. Yeah. So um, he was born in West Palm Beach, Florida. I did not know he was from down there. Amazing. Yeah. And, and he uh, entered the ministry at the age of 19. Mm. Uh, so he was in ministry all of those years. Uh, he died when he was 74 years old uh, in 2005. But obviously he was known for a couple of things. One um, was the se being senior pastor of Bellevue Baptist yeah. Church in Memphis, Tennessee, uh, which he did that from 1972 until 2005. And he grew the membership from 9,000 to 29,000. But obviously, the thing that we uh, think about with him uh, was for a really, really important moment in 1979 uh, when he was elected 
president of the Southern Baptist Convention uh, on a platform of biblical inerrancy. And that was the election uh, that was the beginning of the shift. Yep. So, uh, and, and, you know, there are all, all these stories uh, that my favorite one is the one that, you know, they, they were all talking about who's going to run, who's going to run. And the great missionary Bertha Smith was the one that basically said, you have to do this. And he did. Um, but that was kind of the thing that, that made the turn. And, and, and part of that was that they knew there were people that appreciated him from all sides and, and in many ways because of his, his preaching uh, and his influence. So he was a major, major figure in what happened. It's hard to imagine that it could have happened without him and the role that he played. Uh, so, so when we look back on the conservative resurgence, uh, we can see, we can see how he impacted everything. And so it all started this week in SBC history. So one of the neat things about Adrian Rogers, he's one of, I don't know if he's the only, I can go back and check that, but one of few that have Mm -hmm. served more than two terms as SBC president. That's correct. So he had the 1979, which is kind of the big election, but then he came back and he served two more terms in the late 80s. So it's it's two consecutive terms. Yeah, that's, that's the term limit thing. Yeah, the term limit. But he did actually have more than two total. Yeah, it looks like there are a few people back in the day. We're talking back in the day with E.Y. Mullins and Gambrill and Truett and all those guys that served right. uh, uh, Dargan they looked like they served, there's a couple of them that looked like they served three or four years. So yeah. it's possible that the rules were different back then. Uh, well, Jonathan Harrelson served from 1889 to 1898. So he might okay. win He might win as the longest tenured. He <laughs> wins the award. But yes. in recent times. But in, in recent times. Adrian Rogers. Yes. Adrian Rogers, one of the few. Uh, the proud. The SBC president. Yes. Um, yes. So. Wow, that's that's pretty interesting. I, I did not know his birthday was uh, this week. So September twelfth. Yeah, that, the the Saturday, one thing. Yeah. yeah, the one thing that intrigues me, or, or I guess makes touches me about him, um, as I've said before, I do not have a Southern Baptist background. When I uh, went uh, moved to Louisville, Kentucky, and started working at Southern Seminary, basically the only Southern Baptist I knew of was Billy Graham. So there were all these names and all these heroes I'd never heard of. Um, so that's the first time I encountered who he was and lots of people talked about him there. So, I mean, I, I, I knew a lot about Adrian Rogers there, but when we left and uh, Keith went to pastor in Virginia, that was in 2005. So Dr. Rogers died later that year. And I remember a man in our church um, with tears in his eyes because uh, so much of his uh, spiritual growth had come through uh, love worth finding through listening to Dr. Rogers' sermons. So that was really a, a, a beautiful thing for me to see. I mean, I had heard about him in this kind of academic theological education seminary setting, but to see just one of our, our people uh, so touched by him, that was where I actually understood his impact. Very cool. Thank you for that, Amy, and thank you for uh, another installment of SBC This Week. Let's move on to your resource of the week. Yeah, I have kind of an interesting one. Uh, I saw today a really unique promo video from LifeWay. Yes. 
uh, for journaling Bibles. Yeah. Yeah, For about journaling Bibles. So I've had journaling Bibles for quite some time. I have an ESV one and I have an HCSB one, uh, but they have this video showing just some really unique things that people are doing now. Uh, almost just bringing sort of an artistic flair. It's like Pinterest uh, meets Bible reading. It, it, yeah, it is. It is. It's got these uh, unique sort of drawings and fonts that that are brought in and things that really I can't do. Um, but I just was fascinated by it. And it kind of makes me want to get a new journaling Bible. So I think there are, uh, as I looked at it, I looked at some of the options that are out there. I think there are some really great ones. Mm -hmm. And so if you don't have one, it's just a fantastic addition. Um, Just the opportunity to make sermon notes right there on the page. Uh, Just so much more margin and and things like that. It's just a really good, really good thing to have. So I decided to make that my resource. All right. Well, I think I've got an extra one laying around the office. So, all right, maybe I'll have to get that one. Yeah, maybe maybe you will. Also, I, I probably have another one too. So I, I tell you what, we'll give away one here on the podcast. Uh, <gasps> nice. First person that that tweets me about the journaling Bible at Jonathan underscore How. I'll put my Twitter info in there. Um, tweet us about it. The journaling Bible is yours. I'll send it out to you next week. Very cool. We should start doing that more. We well, should give away some resources. Stuff, when I have stuff, I will. Okay, I well, like it. I don't always have a lot of things, but I do have some things. So, uh, yeah, I'll, we'll give away journaling, journaling Bible, HTSB Journaling Bible, brand new stuff, uh, and just uh, tweet me. First person that tweets me gets the Journaling Bible. Very good. All right, what's your resource? My resource of the week is the For the Church website. Dr. Allen mentioned that that's their motto there at Midwestern Seminary. They have a website uh, that is run by Jared Wilson. I think he's the the super editor boss of that at uh, Midwestern. Uh, that's part of his role at Midwestern. And it is a fantastic website with uh, new content daily and several, several articles daily. Uh, they, they do a lot. I run a daily, I run two daily websites. It's enough work for me to keep me busy just doing one post a day on these websites and they're putting up uh, multiple posts a day. So I know Jared and them, they're doing a great job with that. The visuals of this website are, are outstanding as well. So uh, check out for the church it's ftc.co and you can find out more about uh, what they're doing at Midwestern through that resource. Well, that's going to do it for us this week on SBC this week. Anything else you got for us, Amy? I don't think so. Uh, we'll just, Look forward to seeing what comes next week. And then after that, it's executive committee meeting. So all sorts of things. There will be stuff at that. I'm sure I'll be there. All right. Checking it out. So we'll see you next week on SBC this week. All right. Talk to you later. 